my favorites are when a client lets, lets us tell their story about, you know, here's the notches in the side of the door where my kids' height were. And uh, I remember when lightning struck this tree and knocked this limb off there. And did you know that, uh, you know, such and such famous person lived around the corner? Those are those are the stories, and that's what gives the, the depth and kind of the, the woody texture to what we do. The Real Estate Sessions is brought to you by FIRST. FIRST knows that a real estate professional's most valuable asset is their relationships. A strong personal network is the moat that can guard against any industry disruption. But there's never enough time to nurture your network the way you want to. FIRST powers top agents with artificial intelligence to spotlight the people who are most likely to sell. This brings focus and attention to make important connections when it matters most. Learn more and request a free demo at first.io. Welcome to the Real Estate Sessions podcast, where industry leaders share their stories and offer tips and advice for real estate professionals. Now your host, Bill Rissa of Fidelity National Title in Tampa, Florida. Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode 169 of the Real Estate Sessions podcast. As I always say, thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you so much for telling a friend. It's how we continue to grow. And uh, it's it's always nice to, to see that more and more people are discovering my little passion project, which is just finding out what makes people tick and, and what made them think about real estate. And once they got there, uh, how some of the great things they're doing. So uh, today's guest is another referral. We love referrals in the real estate industry <laughs> from Marcy James of uh, Realtor.com. This week, we're going to be talking with Drew Coleman. Drew is the founder of the Drew Coleman team with Hassan Company Realtors in Portland, Oregon, doing some really cool stuff up there. Uh, love what they're doing on the tech side. Uh, Drew, welcome to the podcast. Awesome. When Marcy speaks, people listen. Absolutely. That's I, I learned that early, and it's paying off. So <laughs> it's all good. So you're in Portland. Uh, more specifically, I think it's Lake Oswego. Are, is, yeah, are you, well said. Yeah. Are you a native of, uh, of Northern Oregon? I am not a native of Nor- Northern Oregon, although I've adopted Northern Oregon. I grew up in, if I've grown up at all, I guess, I grew up in Vienna, Austria for three years and then moved over to high school in the Tri-Cities, uh, junior high and high school, Tri-Cities, Richland, Washington. So not too far from here, about three and a half, four hours down the road. Well, let's talk about Vienna, Austria first. Let's, how does that happen? Well, my dad uh, is a nuclear engineer, uh, and after graduating from uh, UW in Washington and Stanford, he traveled around uh, different uh, nuclear power plants around the country, and uh, eventually they reached out to him from the United Nations and said, hey, we need, uh, we need someone for the International Atomic Agent Energy Agency uh, to do nuclear plant inspections to make sure they're not diverting uranium. I have no idea what any of those words means, but that's what my dad was doing. So he took us over to Vienna and was stationed there and would travel to China and Japan and check out nuclear power plants. So it was it was a fun time. And as a fourth, fifth, sixth grader, pretty cool to have that exposure to a, a city like that. And this is, you know, 88 when I was there was uh, pre the wall coming down. So it's, wow. it was just an interesting time to live in that part of the world. Did, did you pick up any German at all while you were there? Uh, Yavol, uh, it's all faded now, but I did my German uh, was pretty good as a kid. When you're when you're young, you can pick it up quite quickly. Uh, right. But I think it's it's faded. You have to talk it, but it does come back when we've traveled back to visit some of the haunts that we regulared when we were that age. 
it does come back as you're interacting with the people that's great. in Austria and Germany. Yeah. That's cool. I love that story. Um, I've had a lot of guests from the Pacific Northwest tonight, but I'd love to ask this question. You know, what's what's the biggest misconception, you know, that, that the rest of the country has about what's going on up there? Well, there's a lot of them. Uh, I guess one that it just rains all the time. And actually, New York City gets more rain per year than Portland does, although you'd think you'd think differently uh, the way people talk about it. Uh, and there's nowhere prettier in the summer. We do have a lot of clients who I love the seasons, love seeing the leaves change and actually having a real winter, summer, spring and fall. I don't know. People think everyone's wearing lumberjack and plaid all the time. We don't do that too much. Although, I, I mean, I, I do have to say some of the portrayals from Portlandia have hit pretty close to home. So uh, it is it is a wonderful city. It's got an amazing and vibrant culture. I mean, the food is, you know, kind of second to none, the creativity, entrepreneurial spirit. Uh, it's a fun place to live. We love it here. Yeah, I've, I've had the opportunity to travel up there a couple different times uh, between Portland and Seattle. And uh, it's it, there are a lot of really cool neighborhoods. It's got it's, it's that kind of a city, right? Where um, like I, I grew up in San Diego. It's nothing close to a Portland for having a real downtown with all those experiences and all that, all that fun stuff, right? Yeah, and it kind of started a lot of the walkability mute movement. So we've got a lot of the fun urban hubs where, you know, you kind of bring back, harkens back to an older time where you've got the neighborhood, you know, restaurant and, you know, more walking school, walking stores and uh, just kind of, it gives you a little bit more sense of community in a lot of places, which we love. And there's so many nooks and crannies that serve different people and different interests that we learn something new almost all the time living here. Yeah, that's great. I uh, doing some research before before uh, the, the podcast. I saw that you uh, you played some basketball in college, and I think that's very impressive. Uh, so I'm going to assume that your love of the game has continued. Uh, so, yes, yeah. good. So are you a Trailblazers guy, or was there some other team that co-opted you as a kid? Because that happens a lot to people. Uh, as a kid, growing up in you know kind of Washington State, uh, I was a Seattle SuperSonics fan. Um, so I remember as a kid listening to a lot of Sonics games on the radio, Kevin Calabro, who actually now is the Blazers announcer would do the, do the radio and TV for them. And I remember listening to the 1996 NBA finals, uh, with the Sonics against the Bulls and thinking yeah. that, that, uh, that Michael Jordan guy seemed to get a lot of foul calls. So, uh, that was, uh, <laughs> that's usually the way the other team looks at it. You're right. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think, yeah, I think he had a pretty good reputation, so I guess he probably deserved it, but now I'm a big trailblazers fan. It's actually at the game. Uh, I guess that was yesterday. Good win over the Clippers. And, uh, yeah, that's, they're, they're a fun team. Uh, the city really rallies behind them. It feels almost more like a collegiate environment with the blazers versus corporate, like a lot of professional sports can so right uh we, we love our trailblazers here they're part of the community and a uh, fun team right now well you you just lost an amazing owner maybe one of the best owners ever in sports right uh that was uh, and paul was an amazing guy yeah you know obviously the northwest is kind of where where paul's heart was and between the seattle seahawks and the and the trailblazers and i think the trailblazers were her were his first love uh, you know you'd always see them see him sitting courtside with his uh friends and family there so yeah it's it's a hard it's a big it's a big loss for the community and we're so appreciative that uh, he gave us a lot of northwest sports moments that we wouldn't have had otherwise right so you went to George Fox University. I'm, I'm going to be really honest. I had not mm-hmm. heard of it until I saw that's where you attended. And 
So I want to talk about the school a little bit, but I also want to know, let's talk about the basketball there a little bit. What position did you play? Uh, what's the conference they play in? Give me all the details. Boy, uh, <laughs> I don't know what the conference, the conference may have changed because okay. I mean, I'm, you feel like you start this business and you blink and it's been nearly 20 years being in it. But the teams that we play were teams like Lewis and Clark, Whitman, Whitworth, uh, Pacific, a lot of the small liberal arts schools in the Northwest, Washington and Oregon mainly. So yeah, I played small forward to center. No one really taller than me ever got recruited, even though I'm only six seven, which in college basketball is not huge. So uh, I would battle with some nice six foot eleven, seven foot guys, and you know you learn the art of uh, being a little bit sneaky and throwing a kidney punch or two. But sure. uh, we we had a fun time and. Uh, yeah, it was a it was a great experience. A lot of lifelong friends made playing basketball with them. And so you have children? I do. Yeah, I have three kids. And anyone playing basketball or thinking about it? Yeah, they all they are they are all playing basketball. My daughter's twelve, so she's the oldest, and kind of the sports get get a little more competitive. But she's she she's tall. She takes after dad, and uh, she's right now in the midst of uh, volleyball season finishing up and uh, she does some school and club playing volleyball and then basketball starting up as well and then my sons who are nine and seven enjoy basketball and you know all that too yeah, that's great well that's that's a you have a, you have some great years ahead of you you're gonna have a blast as uh as they grow through their teens so well let, let, i'll take this back to real estate now you mm -hmm. it looks like in your kind of in your uh, cv we'll call it you you went into real estate right out of school did you did you know all along that you were going to be a realtor uh, it'd be fun if I could say that I did, but no, I did not. Um, I just kind of fell backwards into it a little bit. So my wife's grandfather uh, was a real estate agent in the Bay Area down in Benicia, Vallejo, California area. And he had sold, I think, every home in those two cities three or four times over. So I'd been doing it for forever. Um, so I'd, I'd seen that and he and I were quite close uh, and I saw that and then uh, as at George Fox, I was a senior class president out there, which connected me with our associate dean of student leadership, whose name was Scott Wade, and his wife, Jill, worked for the Portland Metropolitan Association of Realtors. So they knew I was looking for something, knew that a top agent, uh, the Lau team at Hassan Company was looking for someone, so connected, and the rest was the rest was kind of fate. So it, it's funny how things come full circle as, you know, now I'm, as of two, 2019, I'll be the the, the volunteer president of the Portland Metropolitan Association of Realtors that Jill uh, used to work for when she found me the job. Wow. I, I love that. That's uh, of all the stories I've had about, you know, how they got into the business. This is absolutely the first one that had this direct right out of school, you know, kind of looking for the next thing. And, and it turned out to be this opportunity. And, uh, and then to have it develop into what you've turned it into uh, is fantastic. Let me. Yeah, it has been a. It's a been a real blessing, and it's a perfect fit for my personality. Although at 22, I don't know that you know exactly what what will work for you and what will not. But it uh, it's been a wonderful fit, and just I love we love serving people and love you know love being there when things get hard. I mean, it's everyone says, hey, I got real estate because I love people and I love houses, which which are great. But uh, the the in depth negotiation, really, the strategic planning and thinking and solving puzzles and helping improve people's lives, which takes years and years and years to really be at that mastery level. That That's really fun because you feel like you can help people steer a ship towards a really great life outcome. You mentioned you're going to be uh, president of the association. Talk to me why 
being a volunteer, uh, which takes a lot of time and energy away from you know you, your work, your family. Um, why is that so important? Well, a I just believe in giving back in whatever form or fashion it is, and I've I've often heard people grouse about how the organization runs or how this and that. And we've got a wonderful organization here, but I always believe then you're just like the person who complains about politics, but never votes. It's important to uh, be involved. And also, the, you know, this is the framework with, within which and on which we, we do our business really. You know, if you're, if you're a builder, you've got to have all the tools and the hammers and the nails Our our foundation and, and our playing field, if you will, is, is the work that the association does to create rules and ethics and uh, an outline and structure. So, I mean, all that education comes through there, all of the mediation, arbitration, keeping ourselves out of trouble, innovation, it comes through the association. And I want to make sure that uh, we're doing well by all the great folks that work in this industry in our town. Let's talk for a second about the Hassan Company. You yeah. you've been there the entire your entire career. You know mm-hmm. that's um, unusual in the world it of is rare. Yeah, talk yeah. about talk about your brokerage a little bit. Well, Hassan Company is a locally owned and operated brokerage based out of Portland metro area with offices in Vancouver, Washington, and Bend, but mostly Portland metro area. And really, the focus has always been uh, having a boutique style brokerage that focuses on excellence and local knowledge. And, you know, the owner and leadership team is all here. You know, all the money is goes back into the community that, that we are proud to serve. And I just like that local connection and being small and nimble and really feeling like uh, we matter and networking with a lot of the other top agents. Our, our sales volume per agent always has been at the top of our region and several years at the top of the nation as far as production. So it's not just us doing hopefully great business, but a lot of our colleagues as well. You started there right out of school and you mentioned it was, yeah, with a team or with a, with someone who had a probably a little bit of a team going or something. Talk about that. Yeah. Yeah, Talk about the adopting team. That was like, you know, 2001, there weren't too many teams and it was more, I mean, in 2001 people were called assistants. So uh, that, that terminology is kind of, matured, but I was a, worked on the listing side of things and the marketing, which was a good fit for me. Uh, I kind of came out of a computer science background that morphed into marketing and business as I graduated school. So that worked really well and learned the ins and outs and running the business like a business, which was, I think, the main takeaway uh, from them and how much they cared for their clients. So uh, transitioned to our own team and our own team has, has grown by leaps and bounds as well, which is a lot of fun. We just work with the greatest people in the world, clients and team members. It sounds like coming out of college right around, I said, 2001, uh, the web is just beginning to explode. The first websites are popping up and all over the place. I'm sure your talent was really, really needed at that time. It was it was very fortuitous that that was the timing within which I came into the market because yeah. you know if you've ever read Malcolm Gladwell's book Outliers, mm-hmm. granted exceptional people are exceptional. However, there's always a lot of fortune that goes into it. Whereas you know Paul Allen, who you mentioned, and Bill Gates and Ballmer and a lot of those guys happen to be in Seattle uh, near the University of Washington, where uh, this world class computer lab was and access to capital and things like that, which helped them create some of these behemoths. So being kind of at the cusp of that internet revolution 
in real estate at that 2001, 2002, where old MLS books were not that far a thing of the past was great. And it's been enabled, uh, it's enabled my team and I to gain some good advantage for our clients going through the home buying and selling process. So it's been really fun and it's been an innovative time. So what year did you um, kind of break off on your own and start the Drew Coleman team? And then Yeah, I started selling houses. I mean, I got my license in 2002, so I wasn't there too terribly long, a few years, and then it kind of uh, branched out from there. And the team's really been, uh, over the last few years, we've, we've grown a lot. For a while, I was somewhat adverse to having the team, uh, just because I felt like sometimes teams existed just to for the growth, not for the client experience. Um, so it, ours was a little bit more, I hope, organic. And the, the team evolved simply to provide the level of service that we wanted. So we kind of were like, well, we've got these people that need service. We need the people. It wasn't, hey, let's get some people and try to find clients for them to work. It was a little bit more of the, of the back the back way. And that was, that, that's been so profound because all the members of our team work within our ethos of because it's your home, it's the client's house. It's not, you know, it's not my listing. It's what do you want to do? How can this experience be for you? And it's one of the top five stressful things that people go through in them in their lives. So uh, we need to make sure that we play, we obviously play the marketer, we play the negotiator, we play the pricing guru, but we also play that uh, we're holding hands and saying, Hey, how can we support you through this? And emotionally be there too and improve people's lives you know with that visionary innovation unrelenting enthusiasm great knowledge and unrivaled advocacy how do we bring that to every interaction with a person that we might encounter unrelenting enthusiasm i love that phrase that's awesome <laughs> tell me what's what's the team look like today how many agents and yeah what kind of support staff what is the yeah i kind of play the team lead role we have and this is pretty newer to us, but we have kind of a listing agent, listing partner who works with me on the listing side, a listing coordinator role. We have a transaction coordinator role. Uh, and then we have one, two, three buyers agents that assist our buyers and partner with me and the team on that. And then we have a director of operations and a creative coordinator and an events and marketing coordinator. So we're as you can hear, we're a little bit, we're almost more robust on the, uh, I guess what you'd call service side than uh, agent side because uh, of how we've evolved with, you know, the clients being there and, and needing to service the, the people who wanted our help buying and selling in Portland and beyond. Yeah. Putting the client first uh, absolutely means you've got to have that staff in place to make that happen. You just can't say that you got to do it right. Yeah, you have to. So it's not, hey, me, then an assistant, and then four buyer's agents. It's more me, and then, okay, we need transactional help for these folks, and we need you know, we need to make sure that the creative, and that, that's been a unique thing for us, too, is having a full-time videographer, photographer on staff. Uh, you know, it's, it's very rare, if not un, unheard of, in uh, at least in Oregon, as far as real estate goes, but that's that's the level. I mean, those photos, we live in sadly an instagram tinder kind of world maybe it's sad or maybe it's not but where people things people experiences items you might buy on amazon they're judged in a fraction of a second at the blink of an eye uh, based on how good it looks so we better if we're advocating for our clients it better be best in class as far as the drone photography 3d uh, still shots hdrs that we're shooting so um, that's why we've committed to that position and to the listing 
advertising marketing the way we do it. Well, look, your your website is, um, I mean, I'll use the word spectacular. Thank I'll you. also use the word uh, way cool. I mean, it is uh, brilliant. So I want I want to talk about that process about how that's evolved and and especially from the first things you probably helped build back in 2000, say two or three. But but so talk about the website. But also I'm just going to assume that you were an early adopter of the entire social digital realm of stuff. And you know, like in 2007 and eight when that was exploding, you were probably right there, right? Yeah, I tend to be kind of one who I'm sure everyone knows has friends like this that you know you have to have. I've got the 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 iPhone X, but now I'm like, well, I'm, I'm six, I'm three weeks behind on having the iPhone XS, which I feel behind. So uh, I just, if it's out there, uh, I love my Tesla model X. That's the greatest thing ever. So it's, it's been similar across all the platforms. I've got a lot of interest. I tend to be all over the place and very global in my thinking. That's why we've got a lot of wonderful team members who fill in the weaknesses that I have, which are many. And, uh, iron out details uh, behind, but we've loved, I mean, it's been fun watching the migration of real estate and how it used to be. You'd never see real estate on Facebook, for instance, and now that's almost kind of come full circle to now where we're seeing more Instagram presence and Pinterest actually uh, has gone through a migration. It's just so much blue sky to explore out there that... uh, um, we we enjoy Twitter. We're trying to figure out how to make Twitter more uh, vibrant and connect with people. So I, it's hard to nail down one when there's so many great ways that with our, our awesome team to capture video, photo, uh, audio to uh, get the clients and their stories out there into the ether. Yeah, I, I find that um, a lot of agents kind of they just miss the mark slightly when it comes to social that and it, yeah, I can hear the way you said it. You you close that uh, little comment with the fact about it's getting the client stories out there. It's not about you. It's about them, and it's about engaging them, right? I mean, you're you're looking to build relationships through social more than anything else. Is that correct? Oh yeah, that's it's a, it's it's ninety five percent relationship. I mean, the client who lists the house definitely wants it it out there, which is great. We, we're going to put it out there as well. But we I'd almost rather some of my favorites are when client lets lets us tell their story about you know here's the notches in the side of the door where my kids' height were and uh, I remember when lightning struck this tree and knocked this limb off there and did you know that uh, you know such and such famous person lived around the corner those are those are the stories and that's what gives the the depth and kind of the the woody texture to what we do versus you know strictly nails and boards and concrete so you're uh, I'm going to go back to the website again really quick. Talk yeah. about talk a little bit about how that has kind of evolved over time for you. Sure. Well, I mean, I think you talked about it's not about the agent. We went through our times where they were very much a puff piece uh, for us and it just didn't feel right and we wanted to make something that was beautiful and uh, fit our area which is uh, green and lush and entrepreneurial and uh, had a good experience for people and really could do some neat things for them too. It had a lot of functionality, but you know, the great thing about my iPhone or anything like that is when you have a lot of functionality, but it doesn't hit you over the head with 10,000 buttons, it it's buried there and you have to kind of play and explore and go down nooks and crannies to find it. And it's constantly a work in progress. And, and you know, the journey is the, is the fun part. It's, it's not the destination. I think that's the experience that, our clients want is, you know, 
high, high expertise and interpretation and wisdom beyond just information. We're all overloaded with information that's plentiful and we've never lived. I mean, my, my seven-year-old can ask any question and get an answer online, but sorting through that and having the wisdom like a, you know, it's the difference between what we do is we're doctors and the internet is WebMD. Uh, you know, everyone who has a, as a hangnail thinks that they have, uh, you know, polio or something like that. It's just not, uh, not the way it works. So having that wisdom, like a doctor to be able to interpret the information is, is important. And we want to be able to be that local guide and, uh, take our clients through the rapids. That is a real estate transaction. Let me, let me ask you about the breakdown of your business. First of all, I'm going to assume yeah. with, uh, as long as you've been out there that you, a large chunk of your business is going to be repeat and referral, but, there's got to be some prospecting that goes that goes on as well. So how does it break down for for the uh, Drew Coleman team? Yeah, um, that's a great question. I mean, we were really until, gosh, a year and a half ago, 100% referrals. So, you know, for darn near 2001-2 till 2017, 15 years, 100%. And then over the last few years, we we noticed there was kind of a there was kind of an overflow where we weren't getting referred directly from people, but we built up uh, hopefully a, a responsible and beneficial enough reputation for clients that they might see that, hey, a lot of people have talked about us or I overheard someone talking or saw in the paper that you know one of the team members is doing this or that or saw us through uh, one of the portals and said, okay, they started calling. And then we thought we need to we need to figure out a way to capture that. And that's where a few of our buyer's agents came in and, and we did start turning on a little bit of the funnel there to say, hey, you know, it's kind of dripping over and it's fruit that's not being harvested. We might as well harvest it. So over the last year and a half, we've started doing that. Uh, well, still, you know, we treat everybody the same and they you really can't differentiate between the person who came in as a lead, although I hate that word, uh, but came in maybe as a colder touch uh, versus all of our other bear hugs that we have from the people that we know, love, and have worked with a number of times. Yeah. So it wasn't like a, it wasn't a, like a focused effort saying, Hey, we need to, to kind of open up some other opportunities for um, more opportunities to have a conversation that we'll, we'll say that <laughs> instead of leads, right? Yeah. It was more like, yeah, it was more like, gosh, here's 10 people that came in that we don't know that we haven't responded to. And and embarrassed to say that, but we were focused on the people who had raised their hand and we'd sat down with and said, what are your needs, wants, and desires in home ownership? And uh, we, we weren't focused on the ones that were not handed off to us that way. But we've you know, come to find out those people are being handed off to you just in a more modern way uh, and they come through different. And now that we've serviced them and put in the same, I think, level of care that made us reasonably successful on the front end and treat the same, those people that come in through that way the same it's been a lot of fun to build a lot of really new relationships and and meet people like uh you know yourself and marcy and others through uh, kind of networking and connections let me ask you about your your position on uh, the market up there in the pacific yeah. northwest are you, are you bullish on what's going on there i because i know inventory has been an issue there for a while give us your your read well, I mean, for a while there was none. Um, and it's funny because when you think about the real estate market and the dissemination of information within the public, uh, the average person buys or sells a house once every 10 years. It used to be seven, but the number's actually gone up uh, as people have started, I think, maybe thinking a little bit more forwardly and down the road with their home purchases. Uh, and part of that probably comes from two things. One, uh, people getting 
quote unquote stuck during the last downturn of the market, which happened, you know, in that oh eight through twelve window. And they're thinking, well, I don't want to do that again where I don't want to be in a house that I think I'm going to be in here two years because I don't think that's wise thinking. Uh, much like investing in the stock market, we want to be looking at things from a longer term. And if it goes down or up tomorrow, that doesn't matter. But over the course of 10, 20, 30 years, uh, we feel really good about where it's going to go. And the real estate market has been even more stable than that historically. Uh, but getting back to the fact that people only buy or sell once every 10 years on average, the information that they have, the people experiencing the market are only 10% of them, of the folks and 90% are not. So when they've read the paper two years ago and said, oh, everything's selling in a minute, that was true. Now, when we're you know around three months of inventory versus half of a month, that's a completely different market now. So it's still very healthy. Uh, I think our appreciation is reaching more of a normal one, two percent level uh, based on the economists that we follow for Portland for next year, which is healthy. It's more an equilibrium market where we're seeing buyers and sellers have to cooperate with each other and find a mutual agreement versus, hey, put the sign in the yard and uh, I'll be reviewing offers three hours from now on my front porch. It's just not that, not that way anymore, but it's a lot more fun. And with our experience, we enjoy a market like this because there's a lot more nuance and, and our skills, I hope, can shine through. Let me ask you a Quickly, OfferPad, Open Door—you know the whole iBuyer thing—not really, uh -huh. not really happening up there yet, right? Open Door is now here. Uh, okay. OfferPad, to my knowledge, is not, but Open Door is coming up here, and uh, you know they're they're well capitalized. They've got a lot of money that they're bringing into the market, uh, and and again, talking back to what I mentioned before, being in a convenience economy, I think they're providing that type of a service. Now, uh, will will most people want to sell their home? at the price that the offer pad or open door might offer? Uh, I don't know, but I mean, I, I quite frankly don't think it's the worst thing in the world. I think having more options for clients uh, and helping them to navigate those is is what we do. So uh, I think of them as just another cash buyer in the market that's providing a convenience and that's it's the next iteration of the old yellow sign with Sharpie on the corner Jane buys houses for cash. It's right. just the modern version of that with a heck of a lot more money behind it. I mean, you think about it in, in you know, five years ago, if you had somebody who had to sell quickly, you probably knew yeah. an investor or two would come in and, and, you know, at a discount, get them out as quick as they wanted to get out. It's you're, sure. it's just been institutionalized, right? It has been. Yeah. So I, I think that's normal. I don't think it's going to be, I think it's going to have a, have a good and uh, probably sustained part of the market, but I also don't think it's going to be, and I, I would be surprised if uh, if it's the preponderance of the market. I don't I don't see that personally, but I think it's 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 a wise concept. And the, our job is to figure out how to best position our clients and give them white glove service. And usually, we're selling at top of market, and and that's what a lot of these programs are aspiring to do as well. So we'll we'll see. It'll be fun to watch it play out. I don't think any any change changes changes a constant. So adapting to that is what I love to do. I love to solve the puzzles. That's one of my favorite things about our job. I was going to say, especially for you coming through those 2000s with what, what happened digitally and then and then the downturn, you're, you're kind of well positioned for the rest of your career for anything that's going to happen with change. I hope so. But I mean, it seems like you start, you know, a friend of mine always says, Marsha says that, you, you know, I haven't been in this business X number of years. I haven't been in this business 30 years. I've been in this business for one year, 30 times because every year is different. Yeah. Uh, and 
you, you have to adapt and continually reinvent yourself and the things that we were doing, whether it be newspaper display or strip ads, followed by, you know, it might be Craigslist or it might have been, you know, it changes every year and the way we market and what's effective in reaching that end consumer changes all the time. And, and, and I love that adaption and our team has really embraced it and it makes for a very cool cool job. It's the best job in the world. People invite us into their house. They don't slam the door on us. They're like, Hey, come in, sit down at my table. And uh, can I get you something to drink? And you know, I haven't paid for a drink and who knows how long. <laughs> Drew, Drew, I've had you here uh, the half hour after your time. So I'm going to wrap up the way I wrap up every episode. And that's the same question. And that, that is yeah. what one piece of advice would you offer to a new agent just getting started in the business? Well, that's a great question. What would I, what advice would I offer? I would say that it's all about the clients and you can never, you need to be an interpreter. So when they say things, you need to understand the why behind what they're saying. The more you can find out what the real driving impetus is for what they want, the better you're going to connect with them. Because often the reason that are sayings like, uh, buyers or liars exist is because people are hearing what they're saying and they're not hearing what they're meaning. So if you can understand your clients and really seek to serve them, uh, the rest will take care of itself. And uh, it's a long game too. real estate. You know, Rome was not built in a day and neither, neither was a good real estate business. So hang in there and, and care for people. Drew, if somebody wants to reach out to you, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? Yeah. If someone wanted to reach out to us, probably the best way to would just send us an email at, uh, Drew at drewcoleman.com or visit us on that website, Drew Coleman, C O L E M A N, like the campaign equipment.com. Phone 503 908 4908. We'd love to connect to anyone interested in the Portland area. Well, Drew, thank you again for your time. I really, it's been wonderful chatting with you and continued success and good luck with your children as they move through their sporting careers in high school. You're going to have a blast. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, it goes quick. So I'm trying to treasure every day. 